Misses inside, maybe upstairs as well. There's ball four. So Stan will get his second walk of the season in his pinch hitting appearance. And the Wolverines get their just their fifth base runner of the game here in the bottom of the eighth. Ian Kennedy has two at-bats this season, drawing one walk and one strikeout. So Ian Kennedy, the junior, will step in with a runner on first, one out. First pitch, swings through a fastball at 89 miles per hour, cannot catch up to it. And Kennedy falls behind 0-1. Kennedy had a monster fall. He's a huge power hitter for this Wolverines team, and I'm assuming Tracy Smith's looking for him to go deep with this one. 0-1, and pitch taken upstairs for a ball, and then quick throw over from Heidel to first base, or they did call it a strike. So again, you are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. It's the Wolverines baseball team takes on the Oakland Golden Grizzlies, trailing 3-0 in the bottom of the eighth. The count is 0-2, and Sp Stance spikes a pitch there outside. Just way off with the release point. I believe it was an off-speed pitch that he held on to too long. The count is 1-2. One, one out. Dylan Stanton is on first base after a pinch hit walk. Ian Kennedy now in as a pinch hitter. Top of the order, Cody Jeffress on deck. 1-2 count. And called third strike on the inside corner. 91 mile per hour fastball freezes Kennedy. And that is Stan's second strikeout. Ian Kennedy really had a nice little battle there for an at-bat, but you're right, completely gets frozen inside corner. Can't do anything with that fastball as he goes down back to the dugout. And Michigan quickly has two outs here in the bottom of the eighth inning, and they're running out of batters to try to get back into this one. So Jeffress steps in, first pitch, fastball away. That's now 10 strikeouts for the Wolverines hitters. S Grizzlies have seven, and they are just not giving themselves enough of an opportunity. Two outs, runner on first, leadoff hitter is up. It is the 1-0. Pitch, fastball on the outside corner, gets a called strike, evens up the count at 1-1. One one. Wolverines, two hits, three walks, that's all they have had on the bases. No runner has reached second base. Wolverines trying to change that here as the 1-1 one one pitch misses upstairs for a ball. So Stance has not been consistently throwing strikes here. As he's thrown 15 pitches, only seven strikes, nonetheless has two strikeouts to the one walk. 2-1 count. Pitch comes, misses down and away, so the count is 3-1. This is the third hitter that Stance has fallen behind 3-1 to. T tying run is on deck in Tito Flores if Jeffress is able to reach. 3-1 count. Pitch comes. Fastball gets the outside corner. Looked like it was maybe upstairs, but Stance gets the call. The count is full. And so that'll send the runner into motion on a 3-2 count with two down. S Stanton is at first. He'll be running. First baseman is behind the bag. 3-2 pitch comes. And a grounder, chopper, fielded by the pitcher, throw to first, and he gets him. Really 
crazy play there by Stance to have to not only go once with his glove to go for the ball, but ball pops up right in front of him, and he regathers himself, gets the ball, and recognizes only there's already two outs, can go right to first base for out number three. Wolverines had a chance there, but just nothing doing, and the Wolverines still now through eight innings have not had a base runner reach second base. They're still only at two hits on the entire game. So no runs, no hits, no errors, one left on there. Wolverines, as you said, down 3-0 after 8. And we now have Tracy Smith having a meeting with the home plate umpire to figure out how this substitution is going to work. Remember, when Mitch Voigt moved from third base to pitcher, the Wolverines forfeited their designated hitter spot. So their pitcher will now have to enter the game. It'll be number 28, Cam Hart. Another two-way player, as you had alluded to, he will come into the game. So only the Wolverines' third pitcher they're using here this afternoon as Kurt Barr rebounded from some early struggles to go four and a third after only pitching two and two-thirds innings in his first two appearances this season. Then Mitch Voigt, dominant, faced 11 hitters and retired all of them. We have another substitution for the Wolverines, too. Jonathan Kim, the freshman, goes out to center field. So he'll replace Greg Pace Jr. as Ian Kennedy had hit for Greg Pace Jr. Jonathan Kim, another prospect out of Wisconsin, pretty highly ranked out of high school. Hasn't really been able to start many games this season, but he has come into this position many times for his defense late in games. So we're set here for the ninth inning. As Cam Hart will take the mound for the Golden Grizzlies. It'll be the middle of the order, four, five, and six coming up. Thomas Green, the shortstop, redshirt senior, will lead off for them. He's 0 for 3 with a strikeout and pair of flyouts. So Hart getting just about done with his warm-ups. As we get set for the ninth inning, Wolverines down 3-0 and just looking to make something happen. Cam Hart has not allowed any earned runs in two appearances. He's only thrown two innings on the season as he's looking to give the Wolver pitch the final inning here for the Wolverines before they have one more opportunity to put together some offense in the bottom of the ninth. So we're ready for the top of the ninth. Green in the box. The first pitch will be spiked down and away for a ball. Count goes to 1-0. and oh. 1-0 pitch comes, and that'll miss down and in at 84 miles per hour. The count is 2-0. and oh. Oakland has not had a base runner since a leadoff single in the fifth inning, but they are up 3-0. 2-0 pitch and throws another one in the dirt. So he just yanked it. Misses outside and low, and the count is now 3-0. And yeah, Cam Hart, as we said, a two-way player, is not primarily a pitcher. Interesting choice here by Tracy Smith, probably just trying to get out of this game and say, save his mainly relief pitchers for that 
doubleheader they have on Friday in that four-game series they have this weekend. So just hoping that Cam Hart can get out of here. Scott Free and the Wolverines will have one more chance to capitalize in the bottom of the ninth inning, but worst-case worst scenario, still keeping all their relief pitchers for that four-game contest this weekend. So Sotres will go out for a mound visit after after Hart just no command at all, throwing three straight balls to start. I believe that's the first mound visit we've seen either team use all game. Mound visit that didn't include a team taking a pitcher out, yes. Cam Hart, two appearances, zero ERA. 3-0 pitch, and command no better, misses down and in, and so a four-pitch walk gives Oakland their first base runner since the fifth inning as Wolverines pitchers have retired the last 12. And with that, the pitching coach is now going to come out. So we're seeing two mound visits, one pitch apart, as this is not what the Wolverines wanted to see. It's interesting because Cam Hart in his two innings pitch has given up only one walk and two strikeouts. Now it's second walk of the game. They're going to take Cam Hart out here, actually. That's Tracy Smith going to the mound. So the Wolverines are going to bring in one of their relievers. And they gave Cam Hart only one one batter. And that's one of the other differences we were mentioning between the MLB and college baseball. MLB, a pitcher has to at least face three batters. In college, they can come in just to face one batter. And that's kind of why the college games might last a little longer than the MLB games sometimes. Right, and I mean there, obviously, the reason that they made the rule change in professional baseball was for pace of play purposes, preventing especially those lefty specialists with uh, who come in with the intention of facing one batter. I don't think that was the intention at all there. It was just his command was so bad. Four pitches and none of them were close at all. So Noah Renard, this right-handed senior, will make a rather impromptu appearance, coming in with a 1.5 ERA in 12 innings pitched. And this is definitely not someone that... Tracy Smith had intended to use. As you mentioned, he was trying to get by only using the three pitchers, but just not able to do it. Yeah, really, if you're Tracy Smith, you must be really pissed off right now that you have to use your top relief pitcher and no Renard. Renard came in on Saturday against Texas Tech and threw four innings uh, in long relief of Chase Allen. And in a game where you're losing 3 nothing here in the ninth inning, when you have, as I just said, four games coming up, including a doubleheader, you probably are going to need to use Noah Renard at some point over the weekend. So using him here in this position, luckily it should only be for one inning if you're Michigan. But nonetheless, definitely, as you just said, not a player you want to be using in this position. Down 3 nothing already in the top of the ninth inning for your top relief pitcher who had four appearances thrown 12 innings as a 1.5 ERA. Yeah, absolutely not, especially in a game that, I mean, it's a three-run game, but it just feels like the Wolverines are out of it with how inept their offense has been all season, and especially these past few games. And so now, in a game that feels like it's over, to have to use one of your best relievers just does not feel like a good move at all here in the ninth inning, yet Tracy Smith ultimately left with no choice with the command issues that Cam Hart had. Still surprised they didn't at least give him another batter to try to figure it out, but that was the decision Smith made. So we are back as Jelenic will step in and take the first pitch for a ball from Renard, throwing a breaking ball there, 74 miles per hour. Count is 1-0. and 
Green on first as he walked off of Hart. 1-0 pitch, misses down and away. So they bring in a new pitcher and the count quickly to 2-0 here. Oakland up 3-0, top of the ninth. They have a runner on first. Their second baseman, Peter Jelenic, is up and takes another pitch in the dirt for a ball, and the count is 3-0. So between two Wolverines relievers, they have combined to throw seven balls here in the to start the top of the ninth inning. 3-0 and misses well inside again, and another four-pitch walk. There's no one up in the Wolverines' bullpen, so they're going to have to let Renard try to work through these struggles after Hart got the quick leash. But back-to-back -back walks, and the Grizzlies, after having 12 straight batters retired, have men on first and second with no one out. And if you're Renard, you really should, you really want to generate weak contact on the ground. Malmanger, as he actually is going to look to bunt. And he... We'll pull the bat back, and the ball gets by the catcher, and both runners are going to advance. Went right through Sojus' legs, and as I was just going to say, the Wolverines were at least going to hopefully get one out, maybe even two with Malmanger bunting, as Vander Mortal already crashed all the way in. Now, Malmanger can choose if he wants to still squeeze, or he can swing with runners on second and third, and no out here in the ninth inning, and it's just getting from bad to worse here for the Wolverines. They're just trying to get out of this game as they are probably setting their sights forward. 1-0 pitch, he will bunt, it'll go foul. I believe he bunted it off of himself in the batter's box at the count one and one. So a little safety squeeze there. And really from... interesting decision there by Malmanger to still safety squeeze, especially with runners on second and third. He does have two infield hits, so he's actually proven a little bit of speed given his size. Nonetheless, we'll see what he does here with the one one count. 1-1 one, one count. Now he does not bunt. Check swings, but doesn't swing. Pitch misses outside to the count 2-1. and one. Wolverines, of course, forced to play the infield in here. Down 3-0 in the ninth inning. Runners on second and third, no one out. So there's a pretty large gap up the middle. If he can place the ball there, that's probably two runs and really puts this game away. 2-1. Big swing. Trying to drive the ball. Swings through it. As that was a breaking ball, I believe, that he was just a little too antsy on. Count now evens up at 2-2. Two and two. A nice breaking ball there by Renard. Let's see if we can throw another one here to get Malmanger out. Here comes the pitch. Grounder to the third baseman who freezes the runner, throws across to first, and a big first out as neither runner is able to advance. Yeah, Dylan Stanton, who had come in for Brandon Lawrence, really nice defensive play there. Picked the ball really well, looked at the third base, looked at the player on the third base, making sure he didn't run home, and he was able to get the first out. So, Nordar essentially got the same thing as he would have gotten with a strikeout, and still the Wolverines haven't given up a run here with second and third with one out in the top of the ninth. So, Drew Collins will step in, and he'll hit a grounder through the right side for a base hit. It'll be one run, and the second runner will be held. So, that is an RBI single from Collins on a grounder to the right side that just got in between the first and second basemen. That will score Thomas Green. Peter Jelenic is held up at third. And it is now 4-0 Oakland with one out in the top of the ninth. That'll be Collins' second RBI of the game as he had that RBI triple. 
back in the second inning. Yeah, this is a Drew Collins game. He came in batting 077 with the RBI triple scoring on the subsequent error, and now with, an in, with a single, another RBI there too. Drew Collins is really taking control of this game, and coming into the game with only one hit on the season, improving to three hits is just something. If you're Michigan, like how did that? How do you let that happen? And if you're Oakland, Drew Collins must be feeling really good about himself right now. So the catcher, Brandon Heidel, shows Bunn, takes the first pitch for a strike. Runner from first goes, swing and a miss. They're going to do a delayed steal of home. Here comes the throw home, and they got him at the plate. Great play there by Cody Jeffress, the shortstop, cutting the ball off immediately from Gabe Sotris. He read it all the way. We played this in high school all the time, the first and third play situation. They decided to let the ball go through all the way to second base. Jeffress knows his arm, and he went right back to Sotra. Sotras had the easy tag at home plate, and the Wolverines have a quick two outs. So here comes the pitch, swing and a miss in the dirt. And the batter will be tagged as Sotra supplies the tag to Heidel, and that'll retire the side. So it will be a run on one hit. No errors and one left on for the Grizzlies. They are up 4-0 at the middle of the ninth. But really a big swing there on that delayed steal of home. And as you mentioned, great play by Jeffress. Wolverines, of course, have to know this is potentially coming. And they executed to perfection, cut off the throw, ignore the runner going to second, make that throw home. Throw is good and beat him by a good amount. Nonetheless, now the Wolverines, they have one chance. They're down 4 nothing. They need runs, and they need runs fast. Yeah, Wolverines have essentially three outs to get this game back in order. They need to score four runs at least to keep this game going. I will keep all of you in mind, even if this game does end. Zach and I will still be here until 6 p.m. We're over FM Airwaves, so we'll be here. We urge you all to stick around as Zach and I are going to talk about just sports going on around in the world. Nonetheless, we still have a baseball game to finish. And Michigan needs to score four here as they have their three, four, and five hitters. For those of you who are listening on FM, our, we'll be on air until 6, and that will be immediately followed up by the Daily Sports Report. For those of you listening on YouTube, you can either, if you're in the Ann Arbor area in southeast Michigan, tune in to 88.3 FM. If you're anywhere else, you can go onto the WCBN-FM website and stream it live. So be sure not to miss the latest sports news. We'll get you started after this game. So Wolverines first have one more chance to maybe put something together on offense. I stand corrected. Michigan has... It's two, three, and four hitters coming up. Tito Flores, Ted Burton, and right now Gabe Sotris. A beautiful day here in Ann Arbor. It's 42 degrees and sunny. Zach and I are even in our t-shirts right now. In the press box, the sun has been beaming down on us all game long. It's been a little... A little too sunny for my eyes, but it's been really nice to sit in, and it's been very comfortable to sit in. And I know there's a lot of fans out today that look pretty comfortable as well. So it'll be another pitching change for the Golden Grizzlies, as it'll be Decker who will come into the game. Brandon Decker steps in as their new pitcher. 
So the first pitch will come. It'll be a fastball at 88 miles per hour, clipping the outside corner for a called strike. Decker enters with a 4.91 ERA in 11 innings pitched. 1-1 one one on the season. Comes the 0-1, and that'll be in the dirt. Taken for a ball, 1-1. One one. Tito Flores, 0-3 on the game. Fly out in a pair of ground outs. Leads off the bottom of the ninth, 1-1 one one pitch. And a fly ball out to left, pretty deep. And it is a home run! Goes over the wall, and Tito Flores goes yard for his first home run of the year. And that is exactly what the Michigan Wolverines have been looking for all game long. They hadn't even had a base runner go to second base. Tito Flores, 0 for 3 on the day before that home run. He'd been 0 for 8 in his last eight at-bats. And finally, Tito Flores gets that ball finds the barrel of the bat and hits it over the left field wall for his first home run of the season, and that definitely has to feel good for Tito. And uh, now Burton will hit a ground ball, pulled foul down to third base. That'll make the count 0-1. Burton 0 for 3 with one strikeout. And you wish that didn't happen in the ninth inning. We wish it happened earlier, but at least it's something as Burton will foul that back. The count is now 0-2. You're completely right. It might be a little too much too late. We'll have to see. Luckily for Michigan, it was the leadoff batter, so Michigan essentially gets a run without having to give up any outs here with Ted Burton, who's just as capable of hitting a home run as Tito Flores is. 0-2 pitch, and that fly ball will go to right field, and it will be foul out of play. Difficult to see from here going right into the sun, but the count remains 0-2. We've seen the sun shift it. At the start of the game, it was in straightaway center field. Now it's more out by the right field foul pole as the count is 0-2, and he'll yank a fastball well outside, hitting 89 miles per hour, so moderate velocity here from Decker. Count is now 1-2. and two. Flores hit a home run to lead off the bottom of the ninth, make it 4-1. to 1-2 one. One, pitch. And swing and a miss from Burton. He goes down on strikes for the second time today and has an 0 for 4 day. So Michigan now down to two outs until this game is over. Still trailing 4 to 1. Gabe Sotris, who was Michigan's best hitter going into the weekend in Houston, really struggled recently, but he is capable of hitting home runs. He has two of them this season. First pitch taken down and away for a ball. Of course, at this point, down three, you really need base runners more than you need homers. So the count is 1-0. and And he'll take a fastball in the strike zone. That'll even up the count at 1-1. Sotris 0-2 with a walk this afternoon. Count is 1-1. And he hits a chopper foul toward the left side. Makes the count 1-2. One out, bottom of the ninth. Wolverines down 4-1 as their offensive struggles have continued, but they finally got on the board courtesy of Tito Flores. 1-2 pitch, fastball away. Taken, and the count was even now at 2-2. Two and 2-2 two. So two -two count. Decker will deal, and Chopper goes foul toward the Wolverines' dugout on the third base side. Keeps the count even. 
Still two balls and two strikes. Sotre still hitting 324 on the season. As here comes the pitch, and he'll foul that back toward the right side. But as you've mentioned, it feels like all the Wolverines' best hitters have been struggling recently. And that's because they have. Unfortunately, it's just not been going well for these Wolverines' hitters. And Gabe Sotras is the most recent example of that. And Hill had a foul pop up that's going to go out of play on the right side. So Sotras fighting off some pitches here. Count is 2-2. Two and two. And of course, at this point, there's no moral victories from a long at that. He's just got to find a way to get on. Still a 2-2 count. Here comes the pitch. And called third strike. Looked like it was right down the middle. And just froze Sotris. Yeah, that ball bent in there from a curveball's perspective. It was 83 miles an hour. Really froze Sotris there, and Michigan's really struggled on breaking balls today. Can't really find any contact with that, and they've really not even swung at the breaking balls. They've really just frozen every time they face a curveball. So Casey Buckley will pinch hit now as the pitcher spot had come up. He'll be the fifth player to go into that number five spot, and he is the final hope for the Wolverines. Two outs, no one on. He'll take the first pitch upstairs for a ball. Left-handed hitting catcher will step in looking to get on and extend this game for Michigan. 1-0, and that pitch will fastball on the inside corner for a called strike. Count is now 1-1. One one. Buckley hitting 167 on the year. He only has six at-bats, one hit. He also has three strikeouts. 1-1 one, one pitch. Fastball gets the outside corner for a called strike, and Michigan is now down to its final strike as the count moves to 1-2. One, 1-2 two. One, two pitch, here it comes. Fastball just upstairs as Heidel held onto that for a long time thinking for sure it was gonna be called a strike, but it was not. Count is even at two and two, and Buckley extends the game at least for another pitch. Here comes the 2-2, two -two. and called third strike on a 90 mile per hour fastball and the game is over as the Wolverines drop it four to one. As Oakland finishes with four runs on seven hits and no errors, Wolverines one run, three hits and one error. Wolverines fall to four and eight as they now get set to head to the Mike Sanson Classic in Kennesaw, Georgia, starting with the game at noon on Friday against UAB. They also will at 5 p.m. Friday play Kennesaw State. So they have two games Friday. They play two more throughout the weekend. Wolverines now fall to 4-8 and eight in what's just been a really rough start to the year. Six straight loss, and this one not to a ranked opponent like their previous four were. Oakland improves to 3-8 and eight as they've had their own struggles to begin this year. And just as you mentioned, you were in Houston and saw the offensive struggles. They're still around. They're still around all right, and as you said, Tito Flores hit that home run in the ninth inning just a little too much too late, still being 0-3 on the day in the two-hole. Your offense can't be generated if your two, three, and four hitters are consistently getting out. Any momentum Michigan would get, they did have three total hits on the day before the Tito Flores home run. Two hits on the day, but not being able to even move that base runner into scoring position 
really hurts your team. In Houston, Texas, we saw the exact same thing. Michigan got shut out in two of those three games. The one game they didn't get shut out, when they faced Texas Tech, when they finally scored a run, they were down 6 nothing. They did actually score on back-to-back two-out hits by Ted Burton and Tito Flores. But in the same exact position, when you are down by so many runs and you build a deficit like that they that they face in all these different games, it's so hard to come back. And TCU, they were down one nothing going into the seventh inning. Michigan, if they had scored a single run in that game, maybe the outcome would have been different. And for seven innings, Connor Halloran really pitched a very solid game. But eventually, something go- like bulges, something breaks. Connor Halloran, the starter, can only go so long before he gets fatigued, he gets tired. And when your offense is not giving you any run support, especially in that position as a pitcher, you start really losing confidence in your team, and then things really start going wrong. Yeah, absolutely. It's just as. As we've been talking about, kind of, we've seen issues on both sides, but it just puts so much pressure on the pitchers, and the pitching was not bad here today. I mean, we saw little early struggles from Kurt Barr, but he managed to get through four and a third innings, allowing just three runs to earn. But then, and then the we saw Cam Hart ultimately was responsible for a run in the ninth inning. But the offense really seems to be the big problem spot this team has. Now, as we had talked about, this team is just, there's really kind of very little cohesion because of the coaching change. We've just seen so much inconsistency with the dynamics of this team that it's just tough to really find the chemistry. It's just a matter of how far can you go before... Like, how long is it going to take before they can figure it out? Well, if you look at this lineup, it, part of it might be a change in the lineup, right? Cody Jeffress is the leadoff man right now, and he's batting, came into the game batting 171. I don't believe he got a hit today, so I'm assuming that batting average is now way down to the 150s. Your leadoff batter is batting 150. Tito Flores in the second, in the two hole, is batting 160. Ted Burton in the three holes batting at like 290. Gabe Sotris is now batting 320, but that again, that average was at 440 four games ago, so it's a little of a mis- misnomer seeing a 320 batting average. It actually has been a lot worse as of recent. Joey Longo batted fifth today, but then he quickly got subbed out. Velasquez is now in the 0-5-0 range, so he's literally hitting one hit over 20 at-bats, which is just not feasible by any means. Van Memorial, too, is now in, like, the 300s. Mitch Voigt is in, like, the 160s. And Greg Pace Jr. is in, like, the 150s. So you might need to change up this lineup. I don't know how you would exactly do it. Greg Pace Jr. has the speed. Maybe you put him first and you start trying to bunt for hits, seeing if that would work. Maybe you move Ted Burton into the two-hole. You keep so you put Sochers in the three-hole. You put Flores in the four-hole. Put Jeffress five. Maybe then you put Van Remortal six. Velasquez seven. And Longo eight. Or and Voight 9, but that's just one example of that. Currently, this has been the exact same lineup Michigan has used the last four games. Again, they did not use Jake Marty today because Jake Marty got hurt against Texas Tech. Marty's actually batting 330 right now. He's actually one of the best batters on this team, so if he can get implemented back into the game, then you take out Joey Longo, and that's a really big switch from, batting, from a batting standpoint, but you need to figure something out. Last year, this team had hitter after hitter. You're still missing Jimmy Obertop. 
if he finally recovers maybe halfway through the season, then you get another batter in place where you can play both Sotris and Overtop, one at catcher, one at DH. So you have options to work with, but currently this team is really struggling to find which options are working because of the way the lineup is set right now. Yeah, and it's just a matter of kind of what options do they have to go to. But then again, as you mentioned, it's like at some point you just got to try something because we just kind of know continuing to put out the same lineup and expecting results to improve almost meets the definition of insanity. And as we saw here, nothing changed, only scoring one run against an Oakland pitching staff that came into the day with an ERA north of nine. This was a game Michigan was able to win and they should have won. And you're seeing in college baseball, giving up four runs is actually not a lot because college baseball teams are primarily offensively oriented. Every college team also has only a certain amount of pitchers, right? So a team like Michigan right now has two solid starters and behind them, they've been kind of having to experiment. They're using Jacob Denner as their third starter right now, but he's actually been a relief pitcher for this team for the last two years. We saw Noah Renard come into the last inning of the game. He can be a long reliever. We saw the third baseman come and pitch, and we saw another infielder come and pitch. So pitching is very fluid in college baseball, so you will see runs. The problem for Michigan is that they're not scoring other runs. So you give up four runs last season – giving up four runs for Michigan actually you should usually would end up being a win for this team because they were able to score a lot of runs. Michigan averaged 11 runs per game last season offensively, which is just a crazy stat. And to think that they wouldn't have made the NCAA tournament unless they had won the Big Ten tournament, which they did, is the only reason they were in that position in the first place. So this team is used to having a strong offense, and there have been a lot of changes this year. Number one, of course, with Backage leaving, going to Clemson, taking a lot of players with him. New coach Tracy Smith coming in, and I don't blame Tracy Smith. He's coming in with a really difficult situation where none of these players are his own players, and he inherited a program, honestly, late in the cycle where he had very little to do with how this team was. He got hired after the transfer portal even like closed, so he's just working with this team that he was given. But something needs to happen. With the team he has, he needs to change the lineup. Maybe maybe he needs to experiment with other players. As I mentioned, Jonathan Kim came in at the end in center field. Maybe he needs to get a start every now and then. Maybe Jack Van Remortal needs to take a seat from first base, and if Jake Marty gets better, you play him. We saw Dylan Stanton come in at third base, and he drew a walk because Brandon Lawrence obviously hasn't been really working offensively either. So something needs to change, and honestly, with these next – eight games they have before they start Big Ten play, this is the time to experiment before you really get into the depths of your real season. Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, it's tough because you kind of have to think with a new coach coming in, you're kind of looking more deep success is probably more not coming in his first season. You're probably looking more several years ahead, but you still want to see some level of success with a team that managed to win the Big Ten tournament last year and they've just fallen off a cliff so fast that they need to somehow kind of climb back up a little. And it almost seems like at this point, it's just trying things until they work. Because at this point, Tracy Smith doesn't know what's going to work. Exactly. And you mentioned last year's team making, you know, winning the Big Ten tournament. They honestly should have beaten Louisville also in the NCAA tournament, too. Unfortunately for them, they got kind of cheated out in the ninth inning, getting a call not going their way. But if you look at their entire starting lineup, I can point out Tito Flores and Ted Burton are the only two starters from last year's team that are starting now. 
Van Remortal was here. He was not starting. Joey Velasquez was a spot starter at times in right field, but he was not a consistent starter. You have Mitch Voigt and Greg Pace Jr., who are both freshmen. You have Sotris and Jeffress, who are both transfers. And Joe Longo was not playing really any meaningful baseball last year either. So this team is just different. Kurt Barr is a freshman who started today's game. And Mitch Voigt, who came in after him, is also a freshman. So just this whole team is completely different. And unfortunately for them, all the success they had last year, they just really couldn't build off of because of the coaching change. Maybe if a package was still here, not necessarily that he would like be coaching the team differently, but those those recruits that he brought in, the transfers he would have brought in, the players that left with him might have still been here, all that could have been different. But because of the way things had turned out with Bakich leaving for Clemson, and good for him and leaving too for a better program with more money, more resources, Michigan is kind of back at square one this season, and that's kind of how it's been expected to be and kind of the expectation fans need to have for this entire season as well. Yeah, and it feels like that's just kind of how college sports work with coaches being free to leave pretty much whenever they want as long as they can go to a school that will pay the buyout. It does result in this situation. We see it in all college sports, not just baseball, that you basically have to totally reconstruct the team. And so as you mentioned, the expectation that they would build on last year's success, have a better regular season this year, really just wasn't that reasonable with – what happened with the coaching change? Still, you'd hope to see something better than what we've seen so far with this team at four and eight. Of course, of course. So, this baseball team now—they're what currently four. There's four and eight right now. They have a doubleheader on Friday. One against UAB. They're playing. Are they both against UAB? UAB and Kennesaw. And Kennesaw State. State are both on Friday, and then they play another game against each of those teams Saturday and Sunday. Then they come and they play. Um, Xavier next week, if I'm correct. On the road next Wednesday. On the road against Xavier, and they got pummeled by Xavier last year. Xavier is not a team to mess with. This Michigan team, after losing to Oakland, honestly, any team is capable of being this Michigan team right now. So after you play Xavier, you come back here and you play Bradley next weekend for their first real home series. So as we said, they're playing teams that they can test these things out against. But number one, Tree Smith needs to be capable of like testing them out. And number two... Will they work or will they not work? We will just have to wait and see. So let's move on a little bit maybe. Let's move to Michigan basketball if you'll if you'll stay with me here. All of you are still willing, please stay with us. We'll be on for another 23 minutes until we have the Daily Sports Report at 6 p.m. But we're going to do our own little version of the Daily Sports Report right now. So, Zach, Michigan men's basketball going to Indianapolis. They face Rutgers tomorrow in the first round of the Big Ten basketball tournament. What are our expectations for this basketball team? Well, the th- problem is it feels like Rutgers is just on a tailspin. I was I was covering the game at Rutgers, and that team just couldn't score, gave Michigan a pretty comfortable win. Michigan, on the other hand, they just can't close games. And it's been something that's kind of plagued Jawan Howard his entire mi- career coaching at Michigan – Yet, we saw, even against Wisconsin, they just needed a prayer from Hunter Dickinson, and they managed to get it. And then at Illinois, and at, at Illinois, they had two chances to have that final possession. They couldn't score, and they were up seven in overtime with a minute and a half left and blew it. And then at Indiana, again, they had the final possession in regulation. They had the chance in overtime. Indiana missed several free throws to give them a chance. And 
they just could not. It's like they had no play drawn up almost. So they just need to be able to. It's great if they're going to be able to pull away some games and win easily, but they got to be able to finish games. Now, as far as tournament status goes, Michigan, I think, at a minimum, has to beat Rutgers and Purdue, maybe more than that. Rutgers, it's, you kind of see different things from the projections because they've just totally spiraled out of control. That loss at Minnesota was just awful, yet their net seems to be high enough that some bracketologists still have them in a pretty comfortable spot. No, they do have four quad three losses, which, of course, hurts them. You look at Michigan, they only have two losses that are not quad one. Of course, the Central Michigan loss, <laughs> that was just that awful. Was, that, and, that, and that is going to – we said when the, when the loss happened to Central Michigan, we said that loss is going to haunt them all the way to the tournament time. And it really is. It might not be as big of a deal now just because the position that they're in and that they still need a win to get in. And if they can beat enough good teams, obviously, then you'll probably still get into the tournament. But you're right. The Central Michigan loss, without that on your resume, your resume honestly looks a lot better where you're right. Just having quad one losses, you still need to beat quad one teams, but that group of teams only being your losses, obviously, there have been teams that have made it in for less. Right. Michigan's only other non-quad one loss was a quad true quad two loss to Arizona State in Brooklyn. Now, they only have three quad one wins, so they're really a team that, for the most part, has beaten who they're supposed to beat, but then not beaten, not won the difficult games. Of course, of course. Well, I completely agree with you. I think Michigan wins when two things happen. This is what I found. Michigan wins when Dickinson's good, obviously. That's kind of a given. Dickinson has struggled at times making the shots he needs to make. He does get double-teamed a lot, but he will consistently miss layups at times. He misses turnaround jumpers at times. And when he misses free throws, too, that really causes me pain because he has so many scoring opportunities at his size. And when he misses shots that he's supposed to make in crucial time, you're really putting the pressure on your team. And Michigan also wins when Joey Baker is good. It's not Jed Howard. It's not Kobe Bufkin because those guys are your consistent scorers. You know Bufkin's going to get his his points. Jed Howard's going to make his threes. Joey Baker, I found, has been that guy where if he's making threes, the team is crazy good. When he's missing threes, the team can't make anything because he takes probably five threes a game, and he'll either go like three or four for five, or he'll miss all of them. And those points, those like 15 points up for grabs on Joey Baker threes is honestly the deciding factor. Michigan has like, what, seven or eight of their losses are within five points. Most recently to Indiana, losing by four in overtime. So making one or two more threes and you miss could really be the difference in winning those games. And I found when Joey Baker makes them, the team is good. And when he misses, the team really can't do anything. Yeah, and it's true what you mentioned. Looking at a couple aspects of this, one... I feel like the team is a little less dependent on Hunter Dickinson than they were last year. He's still obviously a big part of the team, but it feels like you can you can kind of pick more of those guys. And as you mentioned, Joey Baker being one of those hit-or-miss guys that will really make or break the team. And then also the fact so many of their losses are so close. You really look at two blowout losses, Arizona State and the game at Penn State. Now, you look, there are some losses that, yes, the score was close. It didn't really feel like a game. 
games like the Purdue loss or North Carolina or the game at Maryland where the other team just kind of controlled the game. But then you do have all these games. Virginia, that was a game they were one stop away from winning. Couldn't finish it off. Central Michigan, a team they have to beat and also a game they led most of the game. Both Indiana games were games they had chances to win. They controlled the game at home and they couldn't score in over five minutes at the end. Illinois, up seven in overtime, couldn't finish the job. So they've just had so many rough losses where it is that one play. Their wins, for the most part, have not been that way. The only ones I think you can point to are Ohio beating them in overtime, which honestly, it never should have come close to that. That was a, I knew at the beginning that I was on that game for WCBN and watching that game and covering that game. You knew it was going to be a really long season where the second game of the season, taking Ohio University, not Ohio State, Ohio University to overtime really, really was concerning for the team. But they, but they pulled out a win there. But you're completely right. Please, please keep going. Right. And then you look at the Michigan State game, which the home game, which was very interesting because Michigan State honestly controlled that entire game, and then we scored the final 12 points to win. Also, going back to the game at Michigan State, that was another one where the game was close in score, yet Michigan just couldn't make any shots, and so it never felt like they had a chance of winning. And then the Wisconsin game, of course, they were up, well, double digits in the second half. No lead is ever comfortable with Michigan. But then somehow managed to get off that Hunter Dickinson three. But most of their wins are not games that they're performing late-game magic. A lot of their losses are games where their opponents performing late-game magic. Completely. Um, you're I mean, completely right. When Michigan beat Rutgers, they beat them pretty handedly. And that was because they control from the tip. And they really take control of that game. And that's what I'm expecting to see out of this team as they face Rutgers. You will know pretty early on in the contest what kind of Michigan team you're going to get. If you're going to get a team that's going to go up by 10 within the first media timeout or even second media timeout, give them a little bit more time. Say by the under 12 media timeout, if Michigan's up by 7 to 10 points, you will know, okay, they, they're controlling this game pretty well. If they're losing or they're in a really tight battle, you're going to, be no, you're going to know you're going to be really in for a treat. And the way this team has just gone historically this season, unfortunately, if you're a Michigan fan, especially for our position, Michigan in tight games has not really ended up in Michigan's favor. And that's really concerning going into the Big Ten tournament when you're going to need to win every single game you play. Yeah, I mean, worth noting the game at Rutgers, what, Rutgers had gone up 13-3 to early, but then Michigan had a 9-0 run to get it right back. It was close in the first half, and then it felt like the second half they really pulled away. That What I find with a lot of the games is often the first half is close, and then the second half isn't. The game... At Northwestern, I was also at that one. It was the same kind of thing. I think we were up one at halftime and then just blew them out in the second half. The game, you look at the other side, the game at Wisconsin, lost by four but up one at halftime. And then Wisconsin really controlled that second half. Michigan almost clawed their way back, just not able to do it. So I agree that sometimes you get the feel early on, but I've noticed sometimes it almost feels like the first half can go neck and neck and then someone takes control in the second half. Now, we know Michigan going up by like 12 or something is not taking control because they can blow that in a few minutes. Completely. That's a really good point you're making. I mean, this Michigan team is really – I mean, it, it's it's very easy to speculate on both sides, right? Like, again, they're facing a team that they've shown they compete pretty handily before. 
but they've also shown that they lose to teams that they should be beating pretty handily before. But you're right. Most of the games Michigan has played where they're supposed to win, they've won. And the weird thing is the position is that Michigan is, what, currently an eight seed in the Big Ten tournament? And if they had won against Indiana, they'd be a two seed. So, like, the amount of fluidity and the, and the, the, the sporadicness of the Big Ten this season is so crazy that one game decides a six-positional difference in the Big Ten tournament. And unfortunately for Michigan, they drew the worst hand. Now, even if they do beat Rutgers, having to play Purdue after the fact, obviously the, the front-runner of the Big Ten, and, and by a large margin too, is just looking a lot less likely this team is going to be as good as the teams we've seen in the past. But I said the kind of the same thing last season, and Michigan turned around and won three games in the NCAA tournament and, and took it to the Sweet 16. So I could be wrong again. Well, I will say it's interesting because they, of course, have a tough schedule here. Yeah, I almost think because they're playing from behind in terms of tournament standing, it might be for the best. Had they won either the Indiana or Illinois game, wouldn't matter. They'd be a two-seed they still probably won't be a tournament lock. Now, they go in as an A seed. Rutgers is a quad one game. So that's a potential quad one win. Now, that won't be enough on its own. But then they play Purdue. And yes, it's a game they probably lose. But when you need resume boosters, you basically need games you'll probably lose. And then you need to win them. Had they been, had Rutgers beaten Northwestern, they would have been a five seed. Yet their first game would have been either Ohio State or Wisconsin. That's doing nothing. That's a game they should win, yet it's doing nothing to their resume. Then I think they would go to Iowa, good, but not as good as Purdue. So I think the tough matchups are the games they need. And yes, if they lose them, they're done. But without them, they don't even have that chance without winning the Big Ten tournament. And that's a good point. And, and, I, and I don't often like to do this, but looking back at past seasons of how Michigan has played. Michigan has actually done really well with their backs against the wall, especially under Juwan Howard. Juwan has really built this team where they peak at the right time. And we were seeing Michigan peaking at the right time. And then recently it's been a little shaky, so I'm not exactly sure how this team's going to fare in the Big Ten tournament. But you're completely right. When Michigan's backs were against the wall and they needed to beat the teams they really, really need to beat, and if they did beat them, they would be way better off for it. They somehow squeaked out a win. And against a Purdue team, you're completely right. If you beat Rutgers and Purdue, some might say that's already enough to get into the big t- to get into the NCAA tournament. Because honestly, a lot of the teams you're competing against are those teams. Rutgers is on the bubble right now. Wisconsin's on the bubble right now. Um, other Big Ten teams like Northwestern's probably a lock, but if they lose in the first round, maybe they're on the bubble too. Like what? Oh, Iowa, Illinois, all those teams are in the bubble. So if Michigan can just make it a little further than those other teams, maybe that's enough to kind of push them into that last four position. Even if it's a playing game, you're in and you have a chance to kind of compete for the for the NCAA championship. Well, I'm looking at the way I see it is my first question is if we if Michigan beats Rutgers, does that push Michigan ahead of Rutgers? I would think it should, yet what I've also seen is I think the committee values the regular season more than the conference tournament for one, and I also don't think they care about head-to-head that much. So even with those two wins, Rutgers, I think you look at like five different projections and you're going to see five different things. They're a hard team to figure out. I mean, they were just in such good position, and then they've just completely crashed down the stretch. They had the Nebraska home loss. They had 
the loss at Minnesota, the loss to Michigan, home loss to Northwestern, they just can't score right now. So I think that's one thing. It looks like, I think the from what I've seen, I think the Big Ten locks are Purdue, Northwestern, Illinois, Iowa, Michigan State, Indiana, Maryland. I think they're all in. Maybe I missed one. Penn State, it seems, is probably going to be in. Wisconsin's another interesting one because their net is in the 70s, I believe. Their record isn't that good, yet they seem to be in a pretty good position. But if they lose to Ohio State... Tonight, yeah, they play right, tonight too. Right. Now, it's worth noting that will be a quad two game because Ohio State's net ranking is a lot higher than you would think for a team with a losing record. But I think if Wisconsin loses that, they're out. Just even though it's quad two, the optics are still bad. And so I think that's a game they must win in order to have a chance. So it really is a matter of kind of the Big Ten bubble. I think one of the big things, probably nine teams make it in the Big Ten. Maybe a tenth gets in. I don't think it's going to be less than nine. So I think one of the big questions is Michigan beating Rutgers. Where does that put Rutgers? Because that has a direct impact on where Michigan ends up. Completely. And we're just it's so weird to like position themselves like to even think about Michigan having a chance at the NCAA tournament again a game and a half even two games ago Michigan was actually almost a lock in the Big Ten tournament. all they had to do was win one of the last two games people were saying and they pretty much be in beating Indiana um as as one of that potential situation and they they also lost to remind me before Indiana Illinois Illinois losing Illinois too but they lose those games and as you said, both in very close manner. Michigan actually was leading against Indiana late in the game and could not figure out a way to have two offensive opportunities, could not score in that position. You just hate to, to ha- put themselves in that exact same position, or you hate you. I'm, I'm personally worried that they're going to be in a very similar position either against a Rutgers team, a Purdue team, or even later on in the tournament. And especially even if they do make it to the tournament, each point matters in that tournament. Like, the pressure is on. And they've proven that they've actually folded under pressure more times than they've been able to su- succeed. So it's really concerning for what they're going to do going forward. Let's shift gears a little bit. Let's go to Michigan hockey. Michigan just beat Wisconsin last weekend of the Big Ten tournament. They move on in the Big Ten tournament. Can you describe to me what their chances are like and, and kind of where they are in the NCAA tournament seating for the Frozen Four possibility? Well, from what I've read, it said they're they are definitely getting into the NCAA tournament. It sounds like they'll probably be a one seed. Now they play Ohio State this weekend, which is interesting because they've struggled with Ohio State this season. But last year they lost all four regular season games to Notre Dame, and then in the semifinals beat Notre Dame in the Big Ten tournament. So they're in a good position as far as getting into the tournament, but. Their performance these last three weeks really has been concerning. The Ohio State games, Notre Dame games, just couldn't figure out a way to win them. Three of the four had been either in shootouts or overtime, and the other one was in 50-degree weather in Cleveland. But then even Wisconsin, those games were closer than they should have been against the Big Ten's clear bottom feeder. And so... We'll see how they end up looking against Ohio State. Are they able to get back to the team that had won seven straight games? 
because that's the type of team they need to be in the regionals to make it to the Frozen Four and then trying to win in the Frozen Four, which they weren't able to do last year. Completely right. I mean, they, they beat Wisconsin. They're supposed to beat Wisconsin, but I believe Michigan is 1-5 against Ohio State this season, maybe 2-5. and 1-3. 1-3, uh, potential to be 1-5. So 1-3 against Ohio State. Um, it, it, I believe it's a one and done against Ohio State yeah, too. Th- this is a one ga- single game. So it's a single game, and if they do win, they go to the Big Ten Championship a week from Saturday. So they just have to win one more game to get the, to that Big Ten Championship, and they are still fighting for that w- number one seed in the NCAA tournament, which would be which would be huge for Michigan's chances. Michigan obviously had the stellar team they had last season with Owen Power and company this season a lot of questions bring, coming in especially with the new coach with Brandon Rudo but so, but so far Michigan's really been performing well as of late and especially in a very feisty Big 10 they've been able to fend off the competition and get themselves into a pretty good position here playing Ohio State and get that home game against Ohio State too which will be huge too yeah absolutely i think they're i mean they're in a position now where they're going to get into the tournament for sure and they they're number four in the pairwise rankings i believe right now maybe even number three so they're in a good place as far as standing i think it's more just a matter of that how that te- how the team is playing so that they can win once they get there rather than like the basketball team that needs to win just to get into the tournament before they can even think about making noise there yeah, Michigan hockey really utilizing a lot of freshmen, what Michigan baseball hopes to do eventually at some point, but they've really been fortunate to have Adam Fantilli and Rucker McGroarty at the helm to really control that Michigan team. Eric Portillo, too, in goal, really being solid for this Michigan team. And, you know, with, with this hockey team, it, it's weird to say, but they've been honestly probably one of the more consistent sports here at Michigan, aside from probably football in the last two years, just producing a lot of really good games. They're consistently winning these games, and they're back in this position where they were last season. Last season, honestly, I felt like this team really could go the distance, getting you know stopped just short in the Frozen Four. Michigan has another opportunity this year, and really in college hockey, it's been all over the place. We've been seeing in the rankings every week just a new team at number one. Teams are losing to other teams. There really hasn't been that clear consensus team so far, and that can make things really interesting in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and it seems right now that I believe the current number one is Minnesota, who would likely, if Michigan can beat Ohio State, they'll be headed to Minnesota next weekend. So this is... But then again, Minnesota, they've had, it's not like they've been perfect. They did have a loss recently to Wisconsin, but then they helped Michigan out by beating Ohio State twice the final week of the regular season that helped Michigan get the two seed. But as you mentioned, there has been kind of a lot of movement at the, within the top teams. Big Ten also, last year only got Minnesota and Michigan into the tournament. This year, you're looking at Minnesota, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Maybe Michigan State, depending on how things play out. So they'll have the Big Ten will be represented well in the regionals. Of course. Well, I just want to quickly circle back to college basketball for a second. Not Michigan basketball specifically, but there is actually some college basketball news that has just occurred while we've been talking. Jim Beheim, the head coach of Syracuse, is retiring after this season, after 47 seasons. As the head coach of Syracuse, Jim Beheim will step down from Syracuse, one of their 
assistant coaches will step up. That'll be Adrian Autry will step in to be the new coach. So we'll have to see what happens with Syracuse after this season. Syracuse just played Wake Forest today in the ACC men's basketball tournament and lost. Um, so just one last stat for you all to keep in mind. But we have just about one minute left here before Zach and I sign off. But we urge you all to keep listening either on WCBN FM Ann Arbor on 88.3 or if you're not here in Ann Arbor, Michigan, please keep listening on the app as we'll have the daily sports report from the studio. Um, Zach and I will not be on that, but we'll have a lot of our colleagues on that talking about sports, primarily football. It's been a lot of football news as of recent, but we just want to thank you all for tuning in today to WCBN Sports here. We had a great baseball game to watch. Unfortunately, not the result Michigan was looking for. Nonetheless, we will look to move on as Michigan goes to Kennesaw, Georgia for this weekend. For Zach Linder, my name is Jake Singer. Stay right there as we are going to put on the Daily Sports Report in just a second.